Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all of the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. While I've got your attention, I'm really excited to announce that Covered Press is now offering its journalist story management software for free for the first 500 journalists who sign up. As a journalist, I know how difficult it can be keeping track of all my stories, invoices, and communications with editors. Covered Press streamlines the whole journalism process and keeps you organized. Sign up at CoveredPress.com today to get one of the 500 free spots available. And now, enjoy our podcast. If we're going to buy on anything that's anywhere related to news, we want to make sure that they are part of some associations that we trust. Amid accusations of fake news and political bias... It becomes harder and harder for newsrooms to establish a relationship of trust with its audience, as well as potential advertisers. But there are people who are actively seeking ways to restore that trust. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Scott Yates is the founder of Journalist.net, which is an effort to fight disinformation by identifying legitimate news outlets. Scott, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Very happy to be here. Well, and I'm happy to have you here, too. Before we get into this discussion, I do want to talk about your pitch. I'm springing this on you because <laughs> as opposed to like ahead of time saying, hey, I'm going to talk to you about your pitch. You have a really strong pitch for this. Oh, thanks. Just so you know, you know, we get a lot of pitches. I don't want to say we get a lot, but we get some pitches from lots of different, from different types of people. Oh, oh, my pitch to you. I thought you were talking about my pitch no, 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 for no. why people should be involved. In- no, oh, no, okay. no, your, pitch, your, to you. your yeah. pitch to me to get on to get onto the podcast. Yeah. What did I say? I think I just said unsolicited pitch. Yeah. Yeah. That was what the subject was, unsolicited pitch. And then it was like, I was a journalist for a long time before I was a startup founder. So I know your instinct is to toss this note in the virtual trash, which is a really honest and <laughs> truthful observation yes. because uh, having been a, a digital journalist for a long time and received all types of PR stuff, that is the first thing I do. So the fact that you got that is like, okay, where the hell is this going? Who's this guy? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you, you go in and you talk about having, you know, have, have this legit thing that you're, you're working on that that's going to help newsrooms And then you kind of wrap it up with, I have a good mic, I speak in complete sentences, and I started a thing that journalists will really be interested in. Up to you, which of those three is most important in a podcast guest for your show? I was very intrigued, and I I investigated your link because I say, well, who is this? Who is this person who is so assured of himself and speaks such truth about the things that uh, all of us have to deal with in our email boxes? And then I investigated and I said, oh, this is kind of an, an interesting product. So so first of all, as you say in your, your pitch, you're a journalist. Tell me about your background. Yeah, I went, to, I went to what was called the J School back when it was called that at New York University. Yeah, and had a great time. You know, I'm originally from Colorado, but I went out to New York, went to the J School, loved it, worked at New York Newsday, worked at the old Spy Magazine under Kurt Anderson, Graydon Carter. And just had a great time and then traveled around the world some and then ended up coming back to Colorado where I worked in journalism for, for about, about 10 years. Okay. And so let's talk about journalist.com and I just, I just want to make this, 
Net. It's Jesus the worst Christ. name. It, it I gave you a great name. pitch, but I, I'm terrible at coming up with the uh, URLs. It's journallist.net. Yeah. You know, a man who has a podcast called It's All Journalism cannot shame anybody about the name of their website <laughs> for sure. But anyway, it's journal list. So it's two L's. The second part of that is list.net. What is this? First of all, thank you for having me on. I mean, not just in general on the show, but because this is such a nerdy topic and it's a little bit behind the scenes. Journalist is a nonprofit that manages what's called trust.txt. Trust.txt is a little file that publishers can put onto their site that says we are, for instance, a member of you know, the New Hampshire Press Association or the, you know, the California Newspaper Publishers Association. And then the associations can put file on their site that says that they have as members, and then they can list all of their members. So we can talk more about what that is, but at the heart of what it is, is a technical spec. And a technical spec has to be owned and managed by somebody. And typically they're managed by like the platform, like Google has a bunch of stuff that they manage themselves. And I thought about going to Google with this, but I knew that if I did, given that it's something that's related to journalism, two things. One is journalists wouldn't trust it because it's run by Google. So it would be you know, part of you know, that great sea of mistrust. And then the second part is that Google would just manage it for Google's interests and it wouldn't be useful to Facebook, wouldn't be useful to Twitter, wouldn't be useful to the online advertisers and that sort of thing. So this is a very circular way of saying Journalist really is just one thing, which is a nonprofit that manages the trust.txt spec. Okay. So it's a text document that has a list of members, a journalist list of outlets and associations, et cetera. This is something that's seen in the back end. Is this something that you can view that like if I'm a reader, I can go to this site and click on a link and see it? Or is this something that that's in the code? It's a little bit in the middle. A human being can look at it and they can recognize it. Like one you could go to just, you know, if somebody's sitting in front of their computer wants to look at it right now is just look at ap.org slash trust.txt. And that will bring up the AP's, you know, the Associated Press's trust.txt file. So a human being can look at it, but it's really designed for the robots to look at it. And it's built on, you know, there are a couple of other text files that have gone on before in web history. The one that's been around the longest is called robots.txt. And that was built with the idea that when a search engine comes and looks at your site, if you have a site, like let's say you have a bunch of temp files that you have on your website, it doesn't do anybody any good for the search engines to go through and look at every single temp file. So somebody, you know, it's almost 20 years ago now, somebody came up with the idea of let's make a robots.txt file. And when the robot comes to your site, they should look at that and they should say, okay, I'm going to ignore the temp files. And here's the files that I should look at. And so this works similarly. You know, if you're a, a newspaper or you're a website of a TV station or radio station, you would put your own trust.txt file up and you would say, this is who we are. These are the associations that we belong to. And these are our social channels. These are like, this is our official Facebook handle. And this is our official YouTube channel, that sort of thing. And that way the robots will be able to say, oh, okay, we can trust this site a little bit more because we see that they belong to an association that's been around for a long time. You know, the fact that a publisher belongs to a state association is a signal of trust that we human beings all know, but the robots don't know that. Google doesn't know that. Facebook doesn't know that. 
or and the advertisers don't know that. And so this is a way to take that information and put it into a form that they can read. Now I understand what that means. So, yeah. so basically, one of the concerns over the last, you know, five, ten years is the growing amount of disinformation that's online. And, you know, how do you identify a website or a news site is a legitimate news site, not just something that somebody put up so that they could push out disinformation. And I know that there have been various other efforts to sort of create these, you know, groups or initiatives whereby, you know, hey, we're all in this club, so you can come and check us. So this is a, a way, I guess, that's helping search. Yeah, if the platform is specifically looking for trusted news, this is a tool that they can use to cycle that through whatever their system is. Yeah. I mean, we're living through an era where Facebook is going under a lot of scrutiny and much of it deserved and Google and Twitter also. That era needs to continue. I, I'm not saying that this is going to be a panacea that's going to fix everything. But the one thing that I think is somewhat legitimate is that Facebook and Google and the others, there are signals of trust that are available to human beings that are not available to the machines that are making this, these decisions. Like, I want to take away the one last excuse that they have of not understanding why a news site is legitimate, especially a smaller news publisher, why they're not getting discovered by Google. And this takes away that last excuse. This says, okay, look, you know, like I use the example of the Hayes Free Press, which is in a small town in remote Texas, and it's a weekly paper. And say what you will, a daily paper in a small town in Texas is kind of the last line of defense between reality and the abyss. We need that paper to keep going, but that paper doesn't have a lot of resources. And, and so their website can't do all of the modern stuff that the New York Times and the Washington Post can do, but they can do this. They belong to the Texas Press Association. And so this way, Google can say, okay, look, at here's this site. We may not have paid a lot of attention to it before because it doesn't have a lot of the signals of trust that we look for otherwise, but we know that it's trustworthy because they belong to Texas Press Association. So that's the signal that we're providing for the platforms. And then also for the advertisers, and we can talk more about that. So how do you end up getting on this list? Well, it's just a matter of installing the trust.txt file. Like there's no one master list using that, the last example, there's the Texas Press Association and there's the members of the Texas Press Association. So TPA, puts their trust.txt file up and you get on the TPA list by being a member in good standing of the Text Express Association. And then for a publisher, they put their own file up that says we belong to Text Express or we belong to whatever other association. So like this is sort of an underlying guiding principle that I learned back in J school at NYU, which is, you know, the government doesn't get to decide who is and who isn't a journalist. We've got that pretty well baked in. The problem right now is the platforms kind of are making that decision. And I'm not that comfortable with that either. What I'm hoping for is a world where the journalists themselves get to decide who is and is not in their own associations, who is in their own groups. If some group of, of publishers come together for whatever reason, they can make that declaration themselves. The government shouldn't be involved in that and the platform shouldn't be involved in that. And that's the underlying concept. So say I have a blog and I don't belong to any of these associations, but I listen to this podcast and I say, oh, let me go check this out. Oh, that's cool. I'll just copy this, create a text document and put it up on my blog. What's to keep that type of person from benefiting from this sort of backdoor to search? I mean, I mean, we could even take a more extreme example. Let's say that Russia Today 
put up a blog and claimed that they were members of the Florida Press Association. Because they would not be listed in the Florida Press Association trust.txt file, that would be a red flag because they would be saying, hey, we're members of the Florida Press and Florida Press isn't claiming them as a member. So that would actually be a way of weeding out anybody who's putting up a trust.txt file claiming some membership that they don't actually have. So, and that's something that you say raises a red flag with the robots behind the scenes that, you know, there isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily have to be a, I guess, an quote unquote enforcement. It would be the fact that one list is compared to another list. And if there's a, if there's some discrepancy, then there's something that the robots recognize. Right, right, right. It would be like going around, you know, with a big sign saying, I'm a member of the you know, Denver Chamber of Commerce, and you haven't paid your dues to the Denver Chamber of Commerce, at some point, Denver Chamber of Commerce can be like, wait a minute, you're not a member. And so this is a way that they can do that without the Chamber of Commerce having to do anything, right? The Florida press doesn't have to say, hey, Russia today isn't a member. They just have to say, here are our members. Anybody who's claiming membership that isn't on this list is faking it. And so that's the decentralized way that this works. And and that makes it work for a lot of people because I don't think anybody should be comfortable with any one organization deciding who is and who isn't trustworthy. It's all just signals. It's, I want to signal my trustworthiness because I belong to this association. And you can do that as long as you actually are a member of that association. Okay. So obviously you have to be a member of whatever is on this list or whatever you claim to be. And the search robots will recognize any discrepancies. What's the advertising angle on this? You know, how is it, you yeah. know, how do advertisers utilize this? A lot of advertisers have stopped advertising. And, you know, this is going to be well known to your publishers in the audience. A lot of advertisers just aren't advertising on news. They're so worried about their ad showing up to some story that they think is negative. And then there's a bunch of technology out there that can like make it so your ads don't appear on stories that are divisive. Well, you know, if you're writing a story about like the January 6th insurrection, it's going to be divisive, but it still is news. And it's, you know, now it's months and months old. It's like, it's not going to hurt your brand to be on a legitimate news story that happens to mention January 6th. Well, and then the other fear for a lot of advertisers is that they have these programmatic ad buys where they can buy across really huge inventories and they don't even always know what they're buying against. And then suddenly they find that their ad is on some site that's spreading disinformation and, you know, like they could have stopped it, but it wasn't necessarily easy for them. And so what the trust.txt does is makes it easy for them They say, okay, look, if we're going to buy on anything that's anywhere related to news, we want to make sure that they are part of some associations that we trust. And it's easy to come up with a list of just associations. And then that creates sort of the web effect where they can get thousands and thousands of websites that they can use based on, you know, just a few dozen trust.txt files. Yeah. Is it all based on, on associations? I mean, is that the criteria that you're using to measure what is trustful? Yeah. I mean, I say associations. Sometimes it's groups that are not called associations. You know, I mean, Associate Press is a good example. Like they're not an association. They're a membership body. They have started with their own file, just reporting on their own memberships. And they're not reporting on in their trust.txt file just yet of who their members are. But eventually I think they'll have anybody who's an AP member in their file and so that's not really an association. I mean, it's kind of is because it's called Associated Press, but 
you know, there are other kinds of groups. And then I could see that this could extend to other groups. I mean, it could potentially even expand to chambers of commerce. You know, everybody on their website has a blog these days. And so they're not necessarily news, but they might want to put a trust.txt file up. But the heart of it is really associations. Like Digital Content Next is a good example. They're a big trade association for the digital interests of a lot of the really big players. You know, the New York Times and the Post and the BBC and the Guardian and CBS News and a bunch of others, Hearst magazines, et cetera. They have, you know, if you go to digitalcontentnext slash trust.txt, you can see all of the brands that are members of Digital Content Next. So those kinds of associations for, you know, legacy print and legacy broadcast, and then the national organizations, those are the kind of the heart of the first wave of trust.txt. How many associations do you currently have involved in trust.txt? We're new. I'm glad we're, I'm talking to you now because we're early on in the process. We have Digital Content Next and Associated Press. We have four states, I think, four state press associations. We just got our first broadcast association. So we're hoping that that spreads the other, you know, pretty quickly to the other broadcast associations. And then we have, what do we have? Another three or four national associations. So we're early on in the process, but, you know, I'm really hoping this year we've got, I don't know, maybe let's call it half of the state associations and if we have most of the big national associations, we'll be in really good shape. Now you say you're a nonprofit. How is this financed? It's the worst possible kind of financing model. <laughs> We're a 501c6, which means uh, the reason I bring up Chamber of Commerce. So we can't get donations. Like I can't go to the Ford Foundation and say, can you give me a million bucks to make this thing? The only money we get is from membership dues. And so, you know, what we ask is, you know, if you want to do a trust.txt file, you don't have to join journalists to do it. But, you know, in the same way that it's good to join your press association or it's a good way to join a chamber of commerce, it's good to join journalists just so that you are part of managing the trust.txt spec. And we keep the dues ridiculously low. For a small publisher, it's $36 a year. You know, for a small association, it's $400 a year. Like it's the money has really never been an issue for why somebody hasn't joined journalists. We want them to join because. Well, a couple of things. Then they can help us with the management. We also, just as a service, we will build their trust.txt file for them, which isn't too hard, but we're happy to do that for them. And then they're also listed in our trust.txt file. So you can always see who is on our site by looking at who's a member by looking at journal list, two L's, as you point out, journalist.net slash trust.txt. And then you can see the members that we have in there now. So what's to keep a member publication, you know, I, I belong to the, you know, New Hampshire Press Association. What's to keep me from just being a member and benefiting from this text file and just publishing whatever I want? Well, usually the press associations themselves have some standards. Like it's not all that easy to join a press association. I mean, usually you have to have been around for at least a year. Most of them have some kind of rule. Like you have to have been around a year. You have to have your incorporation has to be in the same area where you distribute. Most of them have now some allowances for online, but you know, in Colorado, in my home state, we have a great new outlet. It's now three years old, but when they first started, there was a thing called the Colorado Sun, which is a terrific publication doing really well all online. And they wanted to join the press association and they were like, well, you got to be, a, you got to exist and be publishing for at least a year. And so they had to wait until their one year anniversary before they could join the press association. So usually there's some pretty good gateway kind of functions with the associations themselves. 
Now, you know, could somebody set up a hinky association of, you know, nefarious, you know, misinformation dealers? That's possible. They could. But usually people that are peddling misinformation try to cover their tracks. They try to cover who it is that's funding them. They try to cover what other sites they're associated with. They try to not let that be found out. And so the whole idea of Trust.Text is exposing your connections to other journalists, to other associations, to other networks. So the thinking is, it's not really going to be a problem because the, the real spammy sites and the real disinformation sites from governments that are trying to undermine democracy, they're not going to want to expose who it is that's funding them, what their network is. So from, from the consumer end, you know, what is, right. what is my experience in this? Well, you won't ever really see it. I mean, you can if you want to, but the idea is, I mean, this is pretty, this is a pretty nerdy behind the scenes idea. It will affect the end user in a couple of ways though. One is you're more likely to see legitimate news stories when you're scrolling through Facebook, for instance, or when you're on your phone scrolling through Google News. You're more likely to see the real stuff. I mean, one of the things we haven't talked about, it, the other aspect of the file is that you put your social channels in. And what that does is there's been a big problem of late of some scammer setting up a YouTube channel and saying, hey, this is the Miami Herald YouTube channel. And... YouTube doesn't necessarily know that that's not the Miami Herald. And Twitter certainly doesn't know that that's not the Miami Herald that set up this YouTube channel that's called the Miami Herald. But with this, in the Miami Herald's trust.txt file, they could put a little line that says, here is our official YouTube channel. And that way, YouTube would be able to keep that from coming in. And Twitter certainly wouldn't be able to let, would have a tool to be able to say, we're not going to put this into somebody's Twitter feed because we think this is, you know, almost certainly fake news because it is claiming to be something that it is not. And so for your end user, they're going to have a higher quality news in their Facebook feed. They're going to have less chance of having misinformation shoveled to them as they're going through Twitter, so they're going through YouTube and that sort of thing. And then the other thing is the, the legitimate news sources that they rely on are going to have a more reliable income base because they're going to be getting ads more reliably you know, programmatic ads on the on the internet, because there's a new tool that allows legitimate brands to do advertising in a safe way on uh, legitimate news publisher sites. So the ecosystem will be better for news consumers, even if they don't know why it is that it's better. You know, I compare it to like, there's a group out there that figures out what's safe to put in your drinking water. And I don't know who that group is. I don't know where they meet. I don't know how they do their work. I just know that they do it and I get water out of the tap and I drink it and I'm very happy that I've get safe water. This is that kind of thing. It's a it's a thing that's going to go on in the background that's going to make the internet water safer to drink. Okay, so I'm a consumer who really doesn't care where I get my information from, that I'm I'm more looking for information that's matching my own particular prejudices or that reinforces my own beliefs. You're not alone. No. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you know, suddenly uh, I'm going to be getting a whole different feed in my, in my Facebook and in, in, in other things. I don't think suddenly, no, this is not going to fix everything. I'm the, I'm the first to say that we're not trying to boil the ocean, you know, and if somebody is set up with a really destructive Facebook feed right now, it's probably, this alone is not probably not going to change it. But, you know, if there is strong public and government and regulatory pressure 
on Facebook to improve its newsfeed to weed that stuff out, they will be looking for tools of how they can improve the quality of the feed. And this will be a tool that will be available to them. This is not a glamorous solution. And there's the old saying of, it's amazing how much good you can do in the world if you don't care who gets the credit. And this is kind of one of those things, like it's nerdy and it's behind the scenes. It's not going to fix everything, but it is a desperately needed missing tool in the toolbox to be able to help legitimate journalists be recognized for doing their work. I certainly see it as a way to address a lot of the concerns around disinformation, stopping disinformation and pushing forward legitimate news sources. I, I, I can see that as this is a really kind of a useful tool, but like you said, you're not trying to boil the ocean. This is not the solution to everything. You know, in the last few years, a couple of, we, I've talked to people on this podcast who've, you know, set up, I don't, know, I don't know what you want to call it. Maybe they're associations, maybe they're, they're groups and, you know, get on our list. And our list is the, the list of trusted news organizations. I did not necessarily see a lot of change people moving toward, you know, websites that had the good housekeeping seal on it. Because again, people were choosing what they wanted to read and what they wanted to believe. That being said, I think this addresses the, the search question a lot and sort of takes it out of this, this argument, at least I think, you know, where people are sort of objecting, well, you know, why does Facebook get to decide which political website it's going to allow or what type of news organizations they're going to have. And then it sort of puts it into, you know, I guess the, <laughs> the associations or the, the groups of within the industry to regulate itself. You say it's the very early days here. What, what are your thoughts about moving forward? What are you hoping to do, you know, in the next year or two years? Well, I hope to spend a lot more time sitting on my couch. I have not, <laughs> I've been wanting to do that and I haven't been able to. It looks like I'm not going to be able to for a while. I don't have huge plans for trust.txt. I got to say, like, I think trust.txt is a really solid idea, a really important idea. I don't necessarily see that it's going to grow a lot beyond just doing that. Like, I just want to get it out there into the world, get to where we've got, you know, the critical mass to where this thing can kind of grow on its own. We talked a little bit about my background. I was a journalist, you know, I was went to the J School, I was a journalist for a long time, but then I was a startup guy. And I was trying to leave the startup world. I'd, I'd started three companies and all of them have done well. And I was trying to leave all of that and trying to leave working really hard. Now I'm working harder than I ever have. But once this thing gets going, my goal is going to be to, you know, turn it over to really more professional manager types that manage this sort of thing probably better than I would and have it be nurtured and continue to grow. So in a couple of years, I think the goal will be to have it be much more international. And we're already making some little inroads into that. Actually, some one really big inroad. So I want to see this thing grow internationally. But after that, I don't see this as, you know, like a stepping stone to really anything else. I mean, this this is the idea. This is the whole thing. <laughs> it is what it is. Right. So who are you pitching this to? Your audience, basically anybody that's interested in, in journalism, publishers, associations. I also am talking now to service providers that work with legacy newspapers. There's there's a couple of big ones. There's one called Town News, and there's one called E-Type Services, and then there's one another one called Creative Circle. Those are the guys that would actually, and I shouldn't say guys because there are a lot of really smart women, especially at Town News. Those are the 
organizations that would actually put the trust.txt file. You know, if somebody at a small paper wanted to put a trust.txt file up, they might not even know how to do it. So they would go to their service provider. So I'm working with those guys. But in general, I'm talking to associations and I'm talking to publishers. I'm talking to, you know, I talk to tiny little publishers like uh, the one I mentioned in Hayes, Texas. And, you know, I've been, you know, lately I've been talking to, as I mentioned, Associated Press and Hearst and Advance, which owns, you know, a bunch of newspapers and also a bunch of magazines. Talking to Tegna that owns a bunch of TV stations, talking, you know, a bunch of the, all the big names, all the names that we know. I could see that like an organization that you might want to get like involved with is like the local online news publishing group, which is a lot of local startups that, you know, they may not, they're new, they may not have been able to get into the different associations, but they're, you know, they're that strata of journalists who are, you know, trying to make big changes in local news and, and certainly the digital startups. I, you know, I, I'm a little discouraged by the fact that, that somebody would have to wait, you know, maybe a year before their digital startup could, could get this kind of, you know, positive spin from what you're offering, because, you know, that first year is, is kind of where a lot of them are establishing who they are and people are looking for local or, well, they're looking for trusted digital news outlets. And a lot of journalists who are finding themselves out of work are, are turning around and doing digital startups. So those opportunities is something I'd like to see. I don't want to say that those people are squeezed out completely. I mean, there is a great group called Lion, Local Independent Online News, and I'm talking to them and I'm hopefully they'll have their, their trust.txt file up. Maybe they'll have it up by the time this is on the air. If there is a group that's you know, like if somebody really feels that they're they're missing out because of this, you know, like there's probably some association they should, they, that, that's out there that they can join. And so they should just look for that association. And, you know, at last resort, they could just form their own organization and then they could put up their own trust.txt file as an organization. So it's not meant to be exclusionary in the sense that, you know, we're, we're trying to be a big gatekeeper, but, you know, we want the signals of trust to mean something. And so whatever the trust that is garnered by belonging to the California Newspaper Publishers Association, that is going to mean something different if they suddenly threw open the doors and said anybody with a blog can join. That means something different. You know, I mean, trust is not something that you get overnight. You know, it's something that has to be earned. And, some, and sometimes that just takes some time. For sure. Scott, this has been a this has been a great conversation. As you said, it, this is a very in-the-weeds, wonky sort of solution to a real problem. And I think it's not the be on the end all, but it is, I think, a smart approach to identifying websites that can be trusted sources. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. Happy to be here, Mike. And, you know, if anybody has any questions, I'm always, email is usually the best way to get me. It's just scott at journalist.net with two L's. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.